Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. When I sat down with my plans for the Australian Investors Podcast, I set up a wish list, people that I would love to interview for the program. One of those names right at the very top was Rob Milner, the chairman, major investor and director of Washington H. Sol Pattinson, Brickworks and many other Australian companies. We originally recorded this podcast around about a month ago, maybe a little bit more, and we had a few tech difficulties and such as Rob's generosity with his time and his insights that he agreed to come back on and, and sit down for this interview once again amid all of the director meetings and a financial year and just the chaos that comes with sitting on the board of so many companies and running so many businesses. Throughout this podcast, and it's probably one of the most wide-ranging of the series so far, um, we talk about the story behind Solpats. Um, Rob's early life and, and kind of like what led him to investing. He talks about how he finds great managers and investors and, and people to sit alongside him um, and the company in various guises and why that is so important. We also talk about intergenerational wealth creation and family pride and why that's really driving uh, a lot of what Rob does each day. We talk about some of his greatest investments, of course, as well as compounding more generally um, the difference between companies that um, have lots of cash on their balance sheet and why it's important and those that don't. We talk about different books and, and what Rob likes to read and do uh, in his time. And of course, this episode is full of wisdom that goes back over many decades. So I think there are so many insights that you'll be able to draw from this. If you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it, it would be wonderful if you could leave us a review on iTunes or YouTube or wherever you choose to listen or watch the, the podcast series, because that means that we can attract more great guests just like Rob. Thanks again for listening. And here's the conversation with Rob Milner of Washington H. Sol Pattinson. Rob, thanks for taking the time out to join me on the show, mate. Uh, nice to have a chat. Thank you. For those, well, for everyone that's listening to this they probably won't know that we actually had this conversation about a month ago um, and we had a few technical difficulties and um, you've been generous enough to give me some of your time again at the end of financial years. So um, I'm thrilled, but at the same time, I guess that speaks to the character of you and, and, and the team. So thanks for once again for coming on for round two. Well, that's fine. Um, where we start, as you know, is we talk about your backstory um, and, and how you came to be, I guess, in the position that you are. But before we get to that, for, I guess, the limited few people who don't know much about Brickworks or Solpats, maybe you can give us the, the origin story of the business, um, how it came to be named Washington H. Sol Pattinson, and I guess just hear it in your own words. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, Washington H. Sol Pattinson um, was started by my great-great-grandfather, 
um, back in 1872. And in those days, obviously, it was, was private. And he was one of the first people in Australia to set up pharmacies. And during that period of time, he met a guy called Caleb Sol. And um, towards the turn of the century, um, Caleb Sol thought that his son Washington wasn't fit to continue on running their, their part of the business. So he offered um, my uh, great-grandfather, Louis Pattinson, uh, the, the business. And with respect to Caleb's son, old Louis Pattinson called the company Washington H. Sol Pattinson. So that was the how it originally started. Um, it's been listed since 1903. Um, obviously, in those days, it was purely a pharmaceutical operation. And it wasn't really till things started to pick up after the um, Second World War that um, things, things started to change. And um, we moved out of pharmacy. Um, first of all, the, um, the share swap with, with Brickworks, and then over time, New Hope, um, TPG, and these things have, have followed on um, over a period of time. But it started off as a, as a pharmacy. We still have our pharmaceutical roots through a 20% um, shareholding in API. Mm. And that's, a, that's a brief rundown. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, I guess, enviable track record to say that you've been listed for over 100 years and in existence for longer than that. Um, we'll get to some of the specifics about what the business does and your role, but maybe uh, you can just explain how you came to be director um, and I guess your formative years, I believe, growing up on the farm and moving to the city for an internship, maybe you can take us through that part of your life. Right. Well, obviously, as I mentioned before, my great-grandfather, Louis Pattinson, um, then one of his sons, Fred Pattinson, was the, 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 took, took over from him. And then my uncle, Jim Milner, um, took over from, from Fred. And then I, um, in 1998, I first joined the board in 1984. Uh, so in 1997, I think it was, not 1998, 1997, I became chairman of Washington Soul. So you can say over that period of time, there's only been four family members in, that have been chairman of the, of the company. And I think that probably shows something about the longevity um, the long-term thinking that the, the company's developed over this long period of time. And I might just add also that, um, just in case we don't touch on it, uh, as I mentioned, when we started off in 1903, this, this company has never missed paying a dividend, even through the depression years that the last GFC were actually, actually raised our dividend in the GFC when other people were um, uh, struggling to pay it. So it's We've had a very proud history of success and been able to grow the business over a very, very long period of time, mostly due to the very good people um, we've had working for us and um, running the various businesses that we've invested in. Mm. How, how about you, Rob, um, growing up on the farm? Do you think that taught you something about hard work, about earning your stripes? Well, I didn't actually grow up on the farm. Um, in the late 50s, my, uh, well, the family bought a, pro a family property. Then my father um, bought a property in 1959 in Cowra. And I was uh, nine years of age at that, at that stage and I was already at school in Sydney. So I continued my um, uh, education in Sydney. Then um, when I left school, I went and worked for a stockbroker for a period of time. And um, then I got the urge to go back to, 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 the, to the rural life after a couple of years in um, working in Sydney. And what, then I, what drove you back there? Sorry. 
and then I, I stayed there till I, till 1984 when I was asked to join the board and obviously up in, from 1984 through to 1997 I became a lot more involved and in those days we were developing coal mines in Indonesia so I was, I was pretty well occupied from 1984 through to 1997 before I actually you know, came into a full-time role. Can you talk us through that um, that time and the, the project in Indonesia? I think it's one of the, the things that jumped out to me and I, I, I'm guessing it's one of the things that you're probably more proud of um, both as a business person but also as an investor. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to be um, where I am in the period of time um, that has developed um, since 1984. Um, you know, the affluence that, um, that has come through Australia at that period of time. And I, I use Commonwealth Bank and CSL as a great reference to those, that period of time when Commonwealth Bank floated, I think total was about $5.70 or something, some figure around that period. Um, you know, the, the share price now is about $70. Um, the dividends, you know, are worth more than the seventy dollars that the share price is worth. And you look at CSL; I think it came on even lower, and it's been split, and the shares are still worth about three hundred dollars. So they're actually worth six hundred dollars. So I think that gives your listeners some idea of how the uh, the, uh, the uh, people's affluence have, have grown over that period of time. And um, you mentioned that. Um, period of time where you're developing this coal mine in, in Adaro, um, which is in Kalimantan in Indonesia, the very first time we went up there, we couldn't find it. Um, they'd been in there with a couple of bulldozers scratching around and the coal was at the, is actually at the surface. So you don't have to take much overburden off. And over that period of time, watching that develop from the first day we flew in in a helicopter and couldn't find it in the jungle, till the day we sold out when it was doing 25 um, million tonnes of coal. We built a, a port as well. And, and just watching the local um, inhabitants who were subsistence farmers in, in, that, in that period of time grow from subsistence farmers through to people working on the mine and little stalls opening and villages opening and people having a use of money where they never had money before. It was probably one of the highlights of, of my life, watching something like that develop was fascinating. Mm. Well, I can only imagine it would be, um, but it's not. Uh, it's not the only thing that people will know you for personally and, and professionally. Uh, how about your day to day nowadays, Rob? What, what What do you get up to day to day? I think I spoke to some guys in the team. Obviously, we had Tom and, and Will on, on the show recently. But what do you, What is your typical day for you look like? Well, obviously, my days have changed changed dramatically over the last few months, but. Um, before that, um, obviously, with the various businesses we have, um, I do quite a bit of travelling. Well, I did, I did quite a bit of travelling. Um, both um, when you have national businesses, you know, right throughout Australia, and also I go to Singapore every two months. Sales have a, has an interest in pharmaceutical operations in, in, in Singapore. And Brickworks have just um, gone into America uh, with a business in America. So I, I, I've been... Um, last few years probably busier than I've ever been but um, you know my day is, is very occupied I, I sit on eight public company boards plus the um, the various smaller operations we have in, in Sol Pattinson that aren't listed and um, no, it's, 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 I think that the thing I enjoy most is I, I do something different every day it's just I don't have a mundane life I, I might be dealing with TPG one day and then Brickworks the next day and 
et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to, to be in the position I am. Do you still sit in and, and oversee a lot of the investment committee and, and research that comes through? Or is that, do, do the, other, the other guys on the team think most about that and manage that? Not, not as much as I used to. We now have a, have a small team of about 10 guys in our, what we call our investment bank, which is Pitt Capital Partners. Um, so they do most of the, the heavy work. Obviously, you know, when companies have money, we get a lot of people knocking on the door with, with ideas how to wear for us to invest in. So I do, I do quite a few, um, well, I, obviously things have slowed up a bit now since this is COVID, but you know, up until Christmas time, we were, we were still pretty active talking to people, people coming in with ideas, and um, we'd filter those ideas and they would then go through um, Bit Capital Partners. We do our due diligence on that, and then if we thought it was a, a strong enough proposition, we would then take that to the board. Mm. How how about when we when you sit back and like if that's the the day to day and kind of your 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 role as you as you see it as a, an allocator and decision maker, how about when you zoom out a bit and you look back in time and you think, you know, the business has done so well for such a long period of time. What do you think are the key differentiators between Solpats and pretty much all the other capital allocators that you, you see in the media and um, just around the traps? Well, I think we've always had a long-term vision. And obviously, when you build a brick plant, for example, 40 or 50-year um, time frame on that plant. Um, a coal mine is a long-term business. Pharmaceutical operations are you know, continuing day in and day out. So I think we've, 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 we've always thought long-term. Um, we've never been too interested in you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. It's all about down the track. And... We haven't always, but generally speaking, we've been able to pick very good people to run those businesses. And I think that's probably been the, the main key to our success is having very, very good people because um, Todd Barlow is our managing director here and we have less than 10 people in head office, excluding the, the, the investment bankers. Um, so we can't or we haven't got anybody to send out and run your business if it doesn't um, function well. So I think that's probably been our greatest um, success story is being able to pick good long-term people. And the thing that fascinates me when I go around a brick plant or around a coal mine or through a pharmaceutical operation is people talk about their plan or their mine. You know, this is the manager. You know, he, he takes ownership of these, these operations. So it, it starts at the, at the grassroots where these guys grow up with the business, become involved in the business, and in these days, a lot of them are stakeholders, own shares in the, in the various companies. And that gives me great pride when you talk to these guys down who are actually running the businesses that enable us to generate the cash to do what we do with it, to, to, for them to be talking about their, their factory or their mine or their pharmaceutical operation. That, you know, they take ownership. And then that flows through to the, to the guys on the, on the floor under these managements. And it just flows up through the, through the top. And, and most of the... The CEOs or MDs of the very business we were involved in have been with us for a long time. Some of them have been there for 20 years. NG Parties, for example, at Brickworks has been around over 20 years. You know, it's, it's an incredible story. Mm. Maybe using him as an example or maybe even David Terry, I'm interested and our listeners would be very interested to know then, you know, obviously management plays a 
big part in your process and you're thinking about which businesses to partner with or, or take over or, or what have you. How, how do you think about what makes a, a good manager other than, I guess, that alignment? Is there anything in particular, maybe it's a personality trait or something that you look for in these people? Well, obviously, obviously you, you get a sense of people over a long period of time and obviously you do your due, your due diligence. Um, so that, that, that all comes out in due diligence. And, and generally speaking, I've got a pretty good feel of when I, when I meet somebody the first time, you know, we're going to be able to work with them. Are they our sort of people? You know, we're, we're down-to-earth type people. Um, none of us got boats or none of us got, you know, Rolls Royces. Um, or planes, you know, we you know, we fly you know, business class when we go overseas. Um, Sydney to Melbourne, we, we travel Brisbane, we travel um, economy classes. We, we haven't got airs and graces about us. So I, I think we've all got a pretty good ability to pick people and I think that's where you, where you start from. You know, we, don't, we don't have much time for spivs. Do you remember when you first met David? Yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Did you, so you knew straight away that he was the right person for the, for the I guess, the ambition that, and the, the, the strategy? Yeah, yeah. We, um, obviously, uh, Michael Simmons, who was actually running um, Sol Patents and Telecommunications at that mm. time, and I, and I should go back and tell you the story of how we got into TPG. Um, he introduced me to David when um, David was looking at expanding his operations and, um, you know, I had two or three um, nice dinners with David and we sat down and talked about things and got to know each other. And, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a fascinating man. That the, you know, he's, he's been so successful in what he's done. I, I still claim he's the, um, the brains of the telco industry in Australia. To me, he's that far in front of anybody else. And that's why we've been able to do what we're, we're going to do. And it's going to be interesting now. We've, we're joined with the phones to see how... We take that to the next step. Mm. How about, Rob, just circling back to you again, when you're getting up and you're meeting with these people, what is it that really excites you about your job day to day? Because, I mean, looking from the outside, we could assume that, you know, you'd be pretty comfortable, you could probably hand over the reins to someone. What, what is getting you up and excited to go to work every day? I think, as I said earlier, doing something every day and then seeing the challenge of, um, trying to keep Sol Pattinson um, at the level it's been at for a long period of time. I don't want to be seen as the one that let the ship sink. Mm. They always say the first two generations um, um, make the money and the third one dissipates it, but I'm fourth generation and Tom, my son, who sits on the board of Sol Pattinson and also runs a, a, a funds management business, um, he's fifth generation. So we're, we're in unique... Um, circumstances is probably very very few businesses in Australia and I don't think there are any publicly listed businesses that go down five generations so again you know we've, we've got a lot of heritage there and as I said I don't want to be the one that's been known as the one that blew it up. <laughs> well, that's a that's a pretty good incentive if you ask me. You know the new team we've got at Sol Pattinson and uh, Todd's been with us a few years now he's, he's you know, he knows what he's doing. And Lindsay Partridge, and as you said, David Teo, and um, um, unfortunately Shane Stefan is just retiring from New Harbour. He, he was been with us for a long period of time as well. So, mm. um, how about if we switch switch gears now and just talk a bit about the investment process? I guess generally, 
obviously you mentioned it at the beginning of the recording there, dividends being really important to sole packs, but also the companies that you look to invest in. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them pay dividends and Solpats being a shareholder obviously receives those dividends. Yeah. Why is it such an important part of the process? Well, as I said, we're, we're, we're a virtually an investment company. You know, we invest in other businesses. So the first thing we look at is those companies have to generate cash. Mm. As you mentioned, we pay out cash dividends. So we need to generate cash dividends from those businesses we invest in. So then we've been able to pay, as I said, we haven't never missed paying a dividend. And I think even since the GFC, there's only um, Ramsey Corporation and ourselves that have been able to, to put the put the dividend up. And I think we're now on our own because in the last half, Ramsey cut their dividend. So um, we're out there on a limb at the moment as you know, a, a very unique business. So we make we we actually concentrate on cash more than we do on our P and L because. All the different businesses we always have, we call them vast amounts of um, 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 non-regular items, and they they add up to all sorts of different things. Uh, we always concentrate on the cash. We're not too fussed about. We always want to make a profit, but uh, with our with the accounting, so we have some equity accounted investments, and um, you know we have a different accounting system. So we concentrate on cash. How how about then? If if I can bring in maybe two extreme examples, Rob. One being Amazon in the US and maybe Zero, the software tech, uh, accounting software company here in Australia or from New Zealand. How do you think about them? Could is it in your thinking that a business like that that doesn't necessarily report um, statutory profits, but is you can clearly see that it's free cash flow or could be free cash flow positive? Would would that ever be or would those ever be the types of companies you could hold? Well, obviously they're they're new age companies. They're all starting off. Um, and obviously, you're all doing very, very well. You know, it's, it's very difficult when you start a business to be, you know, going 100 miles an hour on the first day. Um, classic example is um, the press in the last couple of days. Amazon has just opened, opening up this massive site out of one of our um, sites out of Brickworks at Oakdale. There, mm -hmm. so you know they've been investing all this capital into Australia. They've invested a lot of the capital into America, for example a lot of the capital all around the world. So in time, you will see Amazon paying dividends. But they're, they're, they're not startups, but they're, they're newish type businesses. And you're seeing a lot of this, particularly in this new age. And I, I think this is one of the things your listeners are going to find quite remarkable going forward is when this 5G technology comes in. It's so much faster than what you're going to be able to do with your phone. Mm. You know, it's going to be transforming. And, and we're seeing that now in, in business, what's happening with technology with online and e-commerce etc etc i must admit I'm, I'm not in the age group to, to fully understand it all but because it's all moving so fast it's all right for you young guys <laughs> I, I i heard you say in a previous podcast that or an interview that um one of the things you look for is a business must make money in the downturn yeah. and that kind of stuck with me because i guess it's that focus on resilience you speak about your i guess your pride and you don't want to be the one that lets down the company, the family member that does that. So I think I feel like resilience is not only something that um, is a value that's close to you, but it's also something that you look for in other businesses. And it's patience. It's patience. I'll give you a classic example. When we um, sold a deposit, um, a coal the exploration area to BHP um, in the boom times for $2.5 billion, the reason BHP were able to pay that because it was right next door to their operations. 
So it was in the boom time and everybody was pestering us, why don't you go and buy MacArthur coal? Why don't you go and buy Felix coal? And all this and this and this and this, this. But it was at the top of the market. So for three or four years, we had a billion dollars sitting on our balance sheet and I used to get criticised at AGMs and talking to analysts. What are you doing with a billion dollars? What are you doing with a billion dollars? So then we waited and being, the opportunity of Bengala came up. Rio, um, the big companies are historically known, knowing for selling at the wrong end buying at the wrong end. So we were able to buy um, uh, 40% of Bangala from Rio at the bottom of the market uh, when coal prices were $40 a tonne. Um, and then two years later, coal prices were over $100 a tonne. So you know, we, we were being patient. Um, you know, we'd never let the cash burn a hole in our pocket and we, we ended up with a, with a wonderful bargain. And it's probably the, if it's not the second lowest, it's the third lowest cost producer in Australia. So that mine, unless something tragic happens around the world, will always make money, even at the moment. The coal prices are a little bit depressed, but we're still making a good margin on our coal. Mm. Whereas a lot of, some of the mines in Australia are already closing up because they're, they're, not, making, they're not making money. Their costs are too high. When I think about the portfolio and the types of companies that you own, we can say, you know, there's pharmaceuticals, um, brickworks, obviously, so industrials, uh, financials. A lot of these companies that operate in these industries are, are really like staples, if you think about it, of society, of the economy. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard from someone in the team, maybe I won't give away names, but someone said to me that you don't necessarily get bogged down in the micro stuff. You're looking for the bigger picture stuff. And solving problems, like looking for businesses that solve problems. Would it be fair to say that, you know, less of your time is spent in a spreadsheet or doing valuations and more on, I guess, the, the bigger picture items? Yeah, yeah. And obviously a lot of those investments started in a smaller scale and we've taken on a few a few smaller investments in the last few years, um, which we hope will come forward in, in years to come um, to, to, to give us a bit more energy underneath the pharmaceutical business and TPG, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we're very confident over time. One's a swim school, Aquatic Achievers. We, we're growing that business around Australia. Uh, another one is called um, Palmer, which is um, uh, grows, grows morphine from poppy seeds. Uh, it's a classic example where the, the, the guy that um, started that business um, was able to produce the product using water where our competitors use chemicals. So we've got a 30% um, cost advantage on our competitors. So they're the sort of businesses, you know, it's starting slowly. We, we've, had, we've had a few teething problems with it. We're, they're the sort of business we're looking to grow going forward to come through and, and stand up beside some of our bigger investments in years to come. We've just put some quite a bit of money into, into agriculture. Um, so, you know, we, we're not sitting back relying on the three or four main businesses we have, we still continue to, to look to grow the company. And would you say that you're just as excited now as you have been in the past, the opportunities, not just, you know, in the next couple of years, but in the next decade or decades to come? Yeah. As I said, if we can bring these smaller smaller investments we've got at the moment um, to through to, as I said, to sit beside these other ones, and, and we're also very fortunate at the moment, we're in a good holding of cash, I would think... In the next four or five or six months, there might be some um, some quite good bargains around. So, we'll, we'll, again, we'll be in a very strong position um, to move it. We bought um, 
I, I, I said I'd, I'd go back and talk about this. We bought um, NBN television. Uh, I don't know how many of your, your listeners will remember Christopher Scase and Alan Bond mm-hmm. with Channel 9 and Channel 7. Um, there was a West Australian guy called Kevin Parry who bought NBN television. It was the highest rating. It was a Channel 9 affiliate in Newcastle, highest rating TV station in Australia. He used to send a helicopter up from here every day for people to go and have a piss up for lunch. And, um, of course, they went broke when Kerry, when um, Skates and Bond went broke with 7 and 9 as well. So that was our start into now what is TPG because with the advent of digital TV, uh, we paid $38 million for that TV station. We sold it for two fifty. We started up SP Telemedia and now we own... 12.5% of the Vodafone TPG merger, which is valued at $16 billion. So, you know, they're the sort of things, if you're patient and you've got cash, we moved on that TV industry when no one else wanted to know it. Mm. It was a dirty word. People were blowing the business up and, and then we were able to go and put telecommunications together under, under that. So, it's, it's really incredible when you think about that, the numbers, the timing, I guess, and... Uh, just zooming out a bit and thinking, you know, maybe in decades as opposed to what most people think about in terms of months. When when you sit on the the boards of these companies or you chair them, do you think that that exposure is real? Do you you find that's really important for you as a capital allocator to think, um, like to see management, to experience the... I guess the the warehouses or the facilities firsthand. Does that give you some sort of advantage, or because you have that insight? Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't run an operation, being a director or a chairman, by sitting in in a, in a boardroom once a month. And I'm fortunate I'm not I'm not uh, once a month because I'm chairman and I talk to my managing directors etc. You know, a couple of times a week at least. Um, so I'm more hands on. But you have to get out and look around. And as I said before. When you walk around these operations with the, with the factory manager or whoever it is, the plant manager, talking about their plant, you know, it, 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 it gives you a sense of owning and you know that there's, there's, there's good trust and um, skin in the game in, in those businesses. You know, you can't, again, um, I, I go to, to places that I'm sure the chairman of CSR and the chairman of Wall have never been to, to masonry factories and these places in Cairns and Townsville, I'm sure. They probably don't know where it is, but this is the way we operate. We're, we're people's people. We, you know, we don't sit in an ivory town, hope everybody underneath us will do what we want them to do. For sure. Um, where do you think then, if, if you know, we take these studies of investors, fund managers, and um, I, as you mentioned before, you interact with a lot of analysts, I'm sure, um, where do you think they go wrong? In, in, is it the patience element? Is that where they go wrong? Well, unfortunately, in, in, in you talk about finance management and those types of industries, apparently, the, unfortunately, these guys are benchmarked on each quarter, mm. which you know, anybody that's been around a long time tells you they can do something in a quarter. It's madness. So these guys are all looking for the, how they can perform in the next quarter or the next six months. It's not what their portfolio is going to go in five or ten years because, you know, they've probably moved on or something's happened in that period of time. So, and, and I think the other thing is that a lot of them forget that it's other people's money that they're managing. 
to me, which and I, I'm very anti what's what's going on at the moment with this short selling, with that was people's superannuation money. Why should people be shorting a stock when superannuation money is looking to grow that stock over a period of time, and then some of these people are lending so people can short it? Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Again, I'm I'm an old long term thinker, and that's why uh, I sit on the chairman. I'm chairman of two. Um, um, publicly listed investment companies and you know they money manage shareholders money for less than you can run it yourself there's no performance fees and these sorts of things but there, there are some exceptional uh, fund managers who have done very well and, uh, and i get on well with them but there are some who i don't think are, are running the businesses for uh, i think they're running it for themselves not for other people's money mm. yeah definitely the Something that I see, Rob, is the incentives. And you see that, I guess, that mismatch between expectations or outcomes and how we should be measuring things versus the focus and the time horizons of reporting and quarterly, monthly. It just makes it all a bit, I don't know, there's, there's a, that, I guess that mismatch there, it creates a lot of issues. How about for you, um, you know, when you get to speak to other investors or CEOs, can you recall anyone in particular that has jumped out to you? Maybe there's more than one person who stuck out to you as a, a really good investor and someone that you really admired. Well, obviously, uh, I've been fortunate, and I, I couldn't go this year, unfortunately, to to be to been at the last five of the last six Berkshire Hathaway yeah. in Omaha in early May, and obviously, you know, I've always had a, uh, admired uh, Warren Buffett, and, and strangely. We've been quite often re regarded in Australia as the Berkshire Hathaway of Australia. Uh, we're nothing, nothing like the scale of what they are, of course. But you know, obviously, you see what old Charlie Munger and him have put together. And um, you know, as, as I said before, there's some wonderful fund managers in Australia, guys like Peter Cooper and Anton and um, Peter Morgan, and uh, we have one former one sitting on our board at Sales at Mount Warren Negus. You know, they've done famously well. Very, very made a lot of money for their, their, their investors, mm. you know. It's like, Sorry, go on. Like, it's like everything. There's some always good people and there's some always people not probably doing the right thing. But I've been fortunate to meet a lot and have a, some involvement with some of these successful people. I've never met Warren, of course. I would have loved to. But uh, they're the sort of guys you take your hat off to. Mm. For sure. So I've heard before that you are quite an avid reader. Um, and this is something obviously we've talked about before, but what are the types of things that you like to read and are you reading daily? Obviously, I don't get much chance to read uh, other things apart from, you know, sort of board papers and I, I, I enjoy reading the newspapers every day and I, I, I get broker reports, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as, I, as I said, I, do, I used to do a lot of travelling, but um, the sort of books I like taking away, and there's been some quite good ones come out over the last few years on, on actual individuals. Like, there's a very good book out on Phil Nike from yep. Nike. Um, I've read the book on Elon Musk from Tesla. They're the sort of um, books I enjoy. You know, obviously, when you, you get away, particularly if I, I can sneak away for a couple of weeks a year with my wife and sit on the beach and not do much, they're the sort of books you can, you can take. And if you, if you fall asleep after 10 minutes, you can pick it up again quite easily without. Um, Losing too much of the gist, but uh, I enjoy reading when I get away. But unfortunately, I don't get much of a chance. Oh, when you're sitting on so many boards and 
Yeah. Well, the, trouble, the biggest problem we all face now is the board papers and annual reports have become so complex and pages and pages and pages on diversity and risk and oh, it's no, it's no wonder mums and dads can't understand what's going on anymore. Yeah, Bro, um, well, I know you do. You've done a few interviews over the over the years, and why I was really excited about this is because I got I get to sit down with you and, and have this conversation and, and hear from you your lessons, I guess. But if if you were in my position and you wanted to ask yourself a question, something that you're really passionate about, or a topic, or something that you want to you want others to know more about what would it be if you have anything oh that's that's a hard one obviously i think if you've got common sense i think that's going to take you a long way um, of course we're all, we're all different some people are good at this and some people are bad at that and etc 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 but I, th I, I think generally um if you if you and i'll, and I'll go on another step for people if you if you if you if you can think long term, and always have some cash, uh, anyone that put money into the market whenever it was six or seven eight weeks ago has done very well, and be patient. You know, you know, not many pay, not many people make money overnight. Very few people make money overnight. People tell you that avid share traders they only tell you about the ones that they win on. There's a lot of people lose a lot of money share trading, but as a I'll give you a couple of examples of the last GFC. Um, I can remember buying Macquarie Bank for $22. Commonwealth Bank, with, I think, $27 or $28. They've paid $40 in that period of time from the GFC to now just in dividends. And the share price has gone from $28 to, what did I say, $60. They've been up to $90. So, again, if you've had that ability and you were patient, and, again, the last two or three years, people have been saying the market was hot, the market was hot, the market was hot. And then we had that period, as I said, six or eight weeks ago, where people were able, if they had cash, they could hop in and I think BHP got down to $25 or $26. Macquarie got down to $75, they're back to $120. And you've got a dividend on top of that as well. So there's, there's, there's good scope if you've got, think long-term, have some cash and be patient. Mm. I think that's um, a wonderful way, and a fitting way to, to end the recording, Rob. Once again, um, thanks for your time today and, and all the best with reporting season and all that's to come for you. Uh, thank you very much and thanks to everybody for listening. <laughs>